1: Listeners
2: are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, April 6, 2021. I'm Jason Breifle from Shaw, Bransford & Roth. Today we're discussing a hot topic in the federal community, one of my favorite topics and ours here on Fed Talk: improving human capital management in the federal government. This is an area that the Biden administration is working hard to prioritize, the employees who work for the government and ensure that they're provided the support training, and resources they need to succeed and deliver for the American people. We're thrilled to have joining us to kick off our program, Pam Coleman. Pam Coleman is the Associate Director for Performance and Personnel Management at the Office of Management and Budget. She's going to kick off today's program to address the Biden-Harris administration's efforts to strengthen the federal workforce and human capital within it. Uh, Pam, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Know that you're super busy with everything going on, including the budget uh, uh, coming out. So, thanks again for joining us and welcome to Fed Talk.
3: Jason, thank you so much for the invitation. It's, it's really an honor to be here with you. Um, the, the clearest and most direct articulation I can make of the Biden Harris administration's perspective and approach to the federal government workforce is to first thank the remarkable and dedicated public servants who make it up. One of the most meaningful parts of my job is to remind folks that government is not some monolith, but a collection of dedicated and passionate individuals. And many of you are listening today, doing the work of the people and for the people. The federal workforce is made up of neighbors, community members, parents, family members, They do the work every day that improves the lives of others. They care for veterans. They prevent and combat the spread of infectious disease. They build tools that make it easier for families to access needed support. They deliver the mail. They keep us safe. They run our national parks. So that's our overall approach to the federal workforce. We put the people first. President Biden puts the people first. He sees them, he believes in them, and he trusts them. And that's an important perspective as we tackle the multiple crises we face today. Together with our partners at the Office of Personnel Management, I've been charged with delivering on the president's promise to support, protect, and empower the workforce and to rebuild the teams and agencies guided by principles of equity and which reflect the diversity of our country, all while ensuring we continue to meet the needs of the American people effectively and efficiently. I'm I'm really well aware that the task before us is no small one. I've been in my position now for two months, having come from New Mexico, where I served as the director of the state personnel office, after having served in various roles in the Obama-Biden administration. It pains me to hear the stories and to see the data of just how systematically the federal workforce has been damaged, disrespected, and demoralized over the last few years. Yet, I also hear directly from folks about the ways in which federal workers did all they could to continue delivering for the American people in the face of that disrespect for the positive potential of government. The ways in which every day public servants stood up for American families, protected valuable data, and preserved sound policies. uh, Reversing four years of effort to undermine the role of the federal government and addressing our country's challenges won't happen overnight. Rebuilding the federal workforce and recruiting more people to join us in service will require intensive effort. It'll take time and it will take all of us. My commitment to the workforce and to the country is that I will work tirelessly every day alongside my dedicated colleagues across the country to deliver on the president's promise to protect and empower the workforce and to rebuild their teams and agencies. So the clear question, what's the path forward? How do we protect, empower, and rebuild? As a first step, it's really important to note that words do matter. President Biden has made it clear to all of us that words matter, tone matters, and civility matters. It makes a difference when you tell your workforce that you deeply respect their expertise and service and will protect them. In his first week in office, the president signed a memorandum sending a clear message that His administration will protect federal scientists from political interference, ensure they can conduct their research and speak freely to provide valuable data, information, and insight to the American people, and followed by visits to the State Department and the Pentagon where the president reiterated his promise to support and empower career civil servants. And he said these words, I value your expertise, I respect you, I'll have your back. This administration is gonna empower you to do your jobs and not target or politicize you. So words matter, but so do actions. That's why on day one, President Biden took steps to protect the health and safety of federal employees and contractors from COVID-19, including by requiring masks, enforcing CDC guidelines, and encouraging remote work to the extent possible. He established the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force, which works with agencies around their health and safety plans that lay out how agencies best protect federal employees, contractors, and visitors from COVID-19. In week one, President Biden also signed an executive order that restored collective bargaining power and worker protections. That order also instructs OPM to develop recommendations to pay more federal employees a $15 an hour minimum wage. Rebuilding collaborative working relationships with our union partners is important to all of us because we have the same aim to support and empower the federal workforce. The president also has signed a memorandum revitalizing America's foreign policy and national security workforce, institutions, and partnerships. In it, he recognized the remarkable professionals whose service and sacrifice are too often taken for granted and whose expertise has too often been sidelined or demeaned. He directed the administration to address critical staffing needs, retain experienced personnel, surge skilled individuals during periods of crisis or other national demand and provide additional pathways for Americans to engage in public service. Second, we're identifying and reversing the previous administration's policies and actions that undermined the federal workforce. As part of his week one order, President Biden eliminated Schedule F, which threatened the very foundations of civil service and threatened critical protections for career officials. He also made clear that this administration would welcome a workforce as diverse as America itself And as part of this, the president revoked the prior administration's irrational order limiting the ability of federal agencies, contractors, and even some grantees from implementing important and needed diversity, equity, and inclusion training. President Biden also signed an order to ensure that the federal government interprets Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 as prohibiting workplace discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Third, we continue to assess the full extent of the damage from the previous administration's policies, actions, and rhetoric, and are supporting and collaborating with OPM to identify the best strategies to reverse these impacts and rebuild the federal workforce. This and much more will be outlined in the president's forthcoming management agenda. As this critical work continues with urgency, agencies and departments are hiring, and we encourage folks to apply. The President has made it clear that the federal government is a place where staff are protected, empowered, and respected, and where the opportunity to make a difference is unparalleled. Finally, and I can't emphasize this enough, government and our workforce achieve and deliver on our missions each and every single day. So we've talked about celebrating Public Service Recognition Week coming up in May. The well-deserved awards like presidential rank awards and the sammies but we really do need to talk year-round about how the federal workforce helps improve the lives of americans and that's one of the reasons i appreciate your podcast so very much so yes our challenges are deep and they're complicated and they're gnarly and they're snarly and yes we're committed to innovating and improving and overcoming these challenges with grit determination and commitment, but I also encourage us to be committed to celebrating the 2 million federal public servants, the people who do the work and directly improve the lives of those they will never, ever meet, affecting our entire country of over 328 million people and nearly 8 billion people around the world. So let's commit to talking about them and let's commit to celebrating them because that's who the federal workforce is. That's who we're focused on. That's who government is. Jason, thank you for the opportunity to talk about the federal workforce as the committed public servants that they are. And to all of the public servants listening today, thank you for your service.
2: Well, thank you, Pam, so much for articulating so well uh, what this administration, the Biden-Harris administration is up to and focused on, what you and your team at OMB working in partnership with the Office of Personnel Management and other leaders across the government are doing. Um, could, can't uh, appreciate enough your time and laying this vision out for us here today on FedTalk. Um, and we are going to uh, let Pam get back to her real busy uh, job and move into the rest of our discussion. Uh, again, I'd love to thank Pam Coleman, the Associate Director for Performance and Personnel Management at the Office of Management and Budget for joining us here to tee up this talk here on FedTalk about improving human capital management. Uh, we're gonna come back after a word from our sponsors with our guests from the National Academy of Public Administration and the Partnership for Public Service to dive further into this conversation. Thanks again, Pam, for joining us on FedTalk. Thanks so much, Jason, pleasure. Welcome back to FedTalk on Federal News Network. Pam Coleman just gave an opening address on the Biden-Harris administration's approach to human capital management in the federal workforce. Now, continuing our conversation, are Terry Girton, President and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration, NAPA, and Lauren DeYoung Schulman, Vice President of Research and Evaluation at the Partnership for Public Service. We'll be diving into everything human capital management, the workforce, from reforming OPM to the role in Congress in improving executive agencies. Before we dive into this conversation, I want to remind our listeners that FedTalk is brought to you by the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. The program is sponsored by the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, insured by John Hancock Life and Health Insurance Company under a group long-term care insurance policy, and administered by Long-Term Care Partners, LLC, doing business as FedPoint. To learn more, visit them at www.ltcfeds.com today. Well, again, Terry and Lauren, thank you so much for, for being here with us today. Uh, I don't think that the partnership or NAPA need introductions. Your organizations have been super active in this space for, for a long time. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping that each of you can help set the stage for this conversation from, from your organizational standpoint and from your personal standpoints as people who've looked at these issues uh, for a long time. Uh, our discussion today is going to look at uh, what needs to happen in executive agency, um, in Congress, and then how it all comes together uh, for success. Uh, and maybe to kick off our conversation today, uh, Terry Gurdon from Napa, can you please kick us off? Welcome to Fed Talk.
4: Well, thanks, Jason. It's great to be here, and I'm excited to talk about this important topic because, as, as we all know, uh, the Biden-Harris agenda is really ambitious, and if we don't have a strong federal workforce to support that, um, they're not going to be terribly successful. So, you're right, NAPA's been engaged in um, the conversation around federal human talent uh, management for years. and. Uh, Of course, we just published our report uh, that was congressionally directed on the Office of Personnel Management. But even before that, um, and I would refer folks back a couple of years to our work on no time to wait. Two and three years ago, we were saying there's no time to wait to address the critical issues in the Federal Civil Service. Um, And and there's still no time to wait. We're kind of past that. So the conversations right now are really, really
2: timely. Thanks so much, Terry. And we'll we'll come back to that um, congressionally-directed report on the future of the Office of Personnel Management in just a minute. Uh, Lauren, from the partnership, please uh, tell us a little bit more about your role. And and, uh, I know that the partnership working with Deloitte has a recent report out focused on human capital management that we may touch on today. Thanks so much
0: for having me. Um, you're, you're, You're absolutely right. We've got a new report out, one in a Ongoing discussion that we've had about talent in the federal government over the past many years Uh, for those who are not familiar the partnership for public service has been around for almost 20 years 19 um, Under focusing on the belief that we all deserve a government that is responsive to the needs of our federal fellow citizens and that's going to require a lot of innovation, a lot of big ideas. and A lot of understanding of government performance in order to reach that goal. Not just ideas, though, we need a talented core of knowledgeable, action-oriented problem solvers uh, who are capable of driving these results that we want. And there's so many thousands of those behind the scenes working in Washington and around the country and around the world uh, as civil servants uh, performing those missions every day. But they need uh, the, they need more from both our federal leaders as well as Congress and then the American people in terms of resources, supports, and um, trust in order to perform those functions effectively. And it's one reason I've been so excited by the Biden administration's approach to human capital as they've talked about it in many recent policies, executive orders and speeches. Uh, One of my favorite ones they they said early on was that uh, we face challenges around the globe that require us to lean forward and not shrink back. And meeting these challenges will require an unprecedented mobilization of public service. Was in one of the first executive orders that they had on uh, revitalizing America's foreign policy and national security workforce. So the, the partnership uh, where I lead research um, has a new report out on transforming human resources, which is going to be going to have to be a major effort in any Biden administration focus on human capital, uh, not only in the revitalization of the Office of Personnel Management that Terry will talk about, but also in its agency transformations as well. So delighted to talk about some big ideas and ambitious uh, innovations that can we, we can pursue in those initiatives. Awesome.
2: Thanks so much, Lauren and Terry, for helping set the stage for us. And I, I want to pick, pick the threads on uh, each of your, your new reports here because I think that there's two important levels. You, you have the Office of Personnel Management, um, government-wide personnel policy, or at least for now, Title V personnel policy. And then, Lauren, your report focuses on the human resources workforce, the function. That's where the rubber is really meeting the road and, and making sure that these two areas are connecting up and working in sync um, seems to be where part of our disconnect has been for, for some time now. And um, so I want to probe a little bit more on each of your reports. Uh, Terry, uh, can you give us a little bit more on uh, the Academy's recent report on OPM? I know that there's a lot of recommendations there, but but maybe you can take through some of the, those that you think are most important for our, our audience to hear. Well,
4: sure, <clears throat> Jason, thank you. Let me, let me first set the stage by saying that you know This report was directed by Congress in the 2020 National Defense Authorization Act. And the catalyst for it was the Trump administration's 2018 plan and their proposed legislation to move OPM's policy functions to the Office of Management and Budget and merge the remaining OPM functions to the General Services Administration. But that's not what Congress asked us to look at. What Congress asked us to look at was how OPM was organized, what their mission set was how well they were doing it and what recommendations we might have to help them do it better. So um, over a year's worth of work, we were able to really get, I think, kind of unprecedented access to the inside of the Office of Personnel Management and really look at how they were structured, how they were funded, uh, what the, the statutes and the regulations and the executive orders were that give them their authority and their responsibility. And then to think for the future about uh, what OPM should look like. And again, kind of uh, hinting back to our no time to wait reports where we said, there has to be a central human talent management function for the government. There has to be an entity, whatever you call it. Uh, we maintain that the Office of Personnel Management has to continue to exist, but it needs to exist in a different way with a different focus. And so really I think the the top of our 23 recommendations for OPM and Congress was that OPM's mission really needs to be redefined and they need to think of themselves differently, specifically as a strategic workforce management organization that focuses on human capital management and performance, that encourages innovation, that thinks about um, the entire federal workforce, not just the Title V, federal workforce that shares best practices, that shares lessons learned, and that facilitates a mission-focused human resources function across government, which uh, perfectly plays in with the partnerships uh, recommendations on how you change the human uh, resources function and how it's executed. But we tried to create a bigger stage for what OPM should be thinking about and how they should be thinking about it what the internal capacities are then that they need to be able to do that well, and actually uh, made some recommendations about some statutory changes that Congress could make that would enable that transformation of
2: focus. Thanks so much, Terry, and uh, Lauren, I want to go over to you because uh, moving HR from transactional to strategic. Those were the goals that we sent back when we reinvented government in in the 90s. And here we are still chatting about it. And I know your report looked at ongoing transformations at several agencies now. Uh, Can you tell us some more about kind of what you learn and and what this is really looking like? uh, And and maybe some lessons you learned for leaders on the ground, um, taking their organizations through these transformations?
0: It's a great question. Um, I, I think that a, a key point to say in this is that human resources in the federal government, and not just in the federal government, but um, you know, and this is important to every American in this case, um, the human resources are the a major point of continuity for federal services. They are the welcome mat, they are the recruiter, they're the one who is making sure talent is managed appropriately, that you are helping elevate leaders, that you're developing the skills that you need for future challenges, and that you're identifying future needs that we can um, actually be able to meet those challenges, not just today, but looking into 10 years, 20 years out. If human resources is not doing their, uh, doing any of those roles effectively, then government can op- can't operate effectively. So the partnership worked with Deloitte to do a study on um, uh, HR transformations and what are the necessary ingredients for those to uh, be able to be successful. And we try to focus on how effective human resources contribute to government success, from helping hire that essential talent to supporting them, that to, uh, to managing their workforce effectively, and look for opportunities for leaders to build on some prior HR transformations. Um, whether it be around designing more customer-focused services rather than focusing on compliance, um, better leveraging data and technology, revamping service delivery models, and above all, building trust, acknowledging the elephants in the room when it comes to HR transformations, that prior transformational efforts, to your point, weren't always successful. You didn't always have leaders' investments. You didn't always have the customers in mind. They may have been focused too heavily on cost-cutting rather than service delivery. And with Each of those, uh, but with that background, I think that there was a couple of key points that I'll I'll just double down on a little bit here. The one um, that that starts at the top and starts at the top of so many of the recommendations we make in different reports is an increasing focus on customer experience. Um, To I think to Terry's point earlier and some points that you've made before, if too much of our HR staff is focused on compliance, Regulatory systems that they have to work with them which are frankly significantly out of date. They're not going to be able to meet their customers needs in any way and HR culture has to move beyond just that compliance to it said working within those uh, regulations that we have right now to innovate. and To deliver outcomes for customers who are the ones who are meeting the challenges our nation faces every day um, and HR customer service has not gotten great ratings over the past several years uh, right now. I think it's uh, amongst the lowest of the services that are rated in the customer service satisfaction survey that GSA issues on a regular basis. And it's something that has been highlighted by many federal leaders and federal federal workforce for a long time that needs improvement in order to be able to meet the challenges our government faces today. So some agencies have found success in embedding customer experience teams in their HR offices, doing better research to understand customer needs, um, focusing on human-centered design, using different approaches to understand what is it that customers are going to, within the federal system, are going to benefit from the most. And most importantly, measuring and tracking those results, not just starting an initiative and then kind of leaving it to, to lie fallow over the course of many years. I think one of the major failures that we've had in the past around reform efforts is that great ideas were were launched, but you didn't necessarily have the leadership, the resources, the training, or the staff to carry them forward. Another, uh, I'll mention one other key point in terms of ingredients for success, and then we can keep the conversation going. And that is around establishing trust. So much of what human resources does involves the questions of people's futures, questions of people's challenges, their families, uh, their skills, and their, their ongoing potential. HR is examining a part of you that, or is working with a part of you that in some ways feels vulnerable or um, uh, at most risk of possible harms within the federal system. If HR is not functioning effectively, it's not creating a safe environment for people to be able to succeed within their jobs. So establishing trust is incredibly important. So much of government process is built around distrust. If you are always focusing on filing the paperwork on time or making sure your grant proposal has all the details, or making sure that you've checked all the correct boxes, you're not necessarily focusing on accomplishing the mission, and that actually is incredibly costly. So that the trust of one building trust of one another uh, building uh, sorry building trust of hr building uh, making sure that it has the trust of leaders that it also it trusts those leaders that it has the trust of congress and that it is being trusted by those who are operating within that system is all important and that includes as i was saying earlier acknowledging the elephants in the room of past failures past challenges resource for, uh, um, resource demands, and also acknowledging that some transformational efforts aren't just about cost saving, and they're not about moving people around where they want to go. They're about delivering better services for federal workers and for the American people. And Jason, you. you know, I think
4: Lauren makes a really important point here. All the positive things that we want people to experience in their interactions with HR uh, in the government have gotten squeezed by the the amount of time we have to spend on compliance activities. And that doesn't start with the agency HR offices. It starts with OPM. And so I think one of the critical recommendations we make in our report that could help facilitate that better customer interaction at the the delivery level is to move OPM from a focus on uh, 100% compliance inspection to a risk-based management approach to compliance. I I want to be really clear, oversight is an important role and OPM's got it, but how they choose to exercise that oversight um, is is somewhat controlled by statute. And we do make some recommendations here where Congress could change um, some of the wording that would free them up. But we really uh, want to encourage OPM to take a, a risk management approach to oversight. And of course, that's easy to say. And sometimes hard to do because, in this case, it also means that OPM's got to build better data capacity to use the data that they have to give indicators about where there are risky areas so that they could focus. It means they need more risk uh, or they need more data analytics uh, talent in OPM itself. It means that they need to reinvigorate their policy shop so that they're providing clear uh, guardrails in policy that free agencies up to focus on mission and customer experience and still provide oversight, but with that flexibility of of a risk-based approach to it so that people can spend their time on the more profitable, um, and here I mean productive aspects of HR, really engaging their workforce, really promoting talent development, really thinking about professional um, career paths and growth and development in and meeting uh, the agency's mission needs for the future and measuring that success less on 100% compliance and more on the contribution of people to the mission accomplishment. So these are all really closely intertwined. Um, They relate so closely together and they're flip sides of each other, right? What happens in the agencies versus what OPM allows to happen in the agency.
0: One quick point on that, Jason, um, on, on this matter of, of compliance and innovation. There's been, and I think con- Congress can point to, the past administration and um, agencies can point to, a lot of innovations in the HR space over the last decade, and even before that. There's pilots that have gone on and been, been launched that have been really successful and offering really amazing contributions to how we hire, how we promote, how we share talent, and how we elevate talent within the federal system. The problem with that is Terry alludes to, if you are focusing much of your time in the HR system on compliance or on making sure that you are fulfilling the requirements of existing regulations and policies, those pilots, those innovations are inaccessible to you. Or if they're if they're not fully inaccessible, then they seem as uh, the, the last possible option that you want to pursue. Things that are new, things that are untried, things that don't necessarily have a lot of uh, experience within your system, those are difficult to want to pursue as an HR professional or as a federal hiring manager if you know that the, the abundant focus of the office of personnel personnel management or others is going to be on. Did you check all the right boxes? Did you follow those policies? Shifting to the the model that Terry is alluding to would have tremendous benefits so that all of those innovations that have been introduced that Congress has been so effective in aiding in can actually be utilized within the federal system.
2: Thanks so much, Lauren and Terry, you gave us a ton to unpack there. We have to pause for our second break here and we'll come back Talk about the role of Congress in this discussion and then the path forward, pulling the thread, needle of the thread on some of those success factors that you both shared with us. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering the second half of our show talking about federal human capital management. Before the break, we were talking about what the executive branch uh, needs to do and actions that that we're seeing in agencies and from the Office of Personnel Management. Uh, But one thing both Terry and Lauren, you each talked about, was uh, the system that we currently have now. And, And that system not only comes from OPM rules and regulations, but uh, really is set by Congress in terms of the statutes that they lay out for for managing the government workforce uh, and agency workforces. And we have uh, all kinds of personnel systems all over the place. Um, What is the role in Congress here? And and maybe the the most important question, does Congress understand the nature of the problem, the scope of the problem? Do they think we have a problem? Uh, Lauren, let's start with you.
0: That's a great question, Jason. I think there's a lot of members of Congress who either have experience in government themselves or have an intimate relationship with the the federal workers who do this incredible um, service to America every day. That being said, I think there are misunderstandings and myths about how the federal workforce needs around federal hiring and around uh, the kind of help that Congress can provide that that would, uh, Congress would do well to help overcome those. One big one is um, I think too often when we look at front office, or not front office, when we look at back office functions, when we look at headquarters functions, administrative functions, those are too often seen as areas to find savings rather than to make sure that they are operating within uh, with uh, with all the resources that they need, with all the policies that you need, with all the innovation potential that they require. and. Um, as a piece of that, I think often, not just Congress, but many federal leaders look at technology as a means of solving problems uh, that we are faced within our federal system and more broadly. Technology can be transformative. It can, it can allow us to do things we were not previously able to do. But is it a, it's a good example of where upfront investment is needed in order to take advantage of its potential. Um, so that if you believe that technology can help our HR system operate more efficiently, effectively, fairly and um, with greater responsiveness to the customer needs, then you actually have to invest upfront in the skills and expertise of human resources staff, their managers, and the rest of the management system within federal agencies. And that's true across the board. Um, In many cases, I think HR functions and staff have really suffered from decades of underinvestment and lack of attention from senior agency leaders. That's another area where Congress can play a really key role is in their oversight functions, in their connections with federal appointees that they are working with regularly, to make sure that they are talking to them about do you have all of the resources and the um, resources, authorities, and people that you need in order to actually do these jobs? Are you appropriately invested in that welcome mat, the recruitment, the, tel- uh, the talent management functions, and everything that is needed to upskill your employees for future challenges? If Congress could play a role in driving those conversations amongst federal leaders, that would be um, opening the door to a lot of conversations that I think are really necessary to have on the Hill.
2: Thanks, Lauren. Mm -hmm. Terry, what what are your thoughts on this?
0: Well, I think it it
4: is a really important question. And certainly we see just by the volume of statutes related to, to federal HR, that members of Congress are very, very interested but they tend to be interested in the agencies that they have oversight for. Um, and so one of the things that I think <laughs> may be really, really useful from this OPM report that we did was an inventory of the federal statutes related to OPM, particularly, because there wasn't one. Um, and so just by doing that inventory, uh, we were able to clear to, to shed some light on the complexity of the federal civil service and all of the statutes and all of the regulations that provide um, minuscule detail on how that has to happen. And so I I think that is evidence of Congress's concern. but it's also evidence of the fractured nature of that oversight. One of the recommendations we make in the report is that Congress should reestablish the civil service subcommittees in the House and Senate oversight committees to specifically address the state of the federal workforce and the state of federal human capital management and to organize government wide policy. Because, you know, in OPM's defense, the system is so complicated that there's hardly anybody that even knows what all the rules and regulations are. And it makes it very difficult to create integrated federal policy around human capital management and human resources. So I think that's a key piece of of how Congress and the administration will need to work together. This is gonna have to be a partnership if we're serious about reform um, for the system writ large. OPM, the administration and Congress have got to be transparent, collaborative and clarifying so that we can simplify the rules of the road. Even the agencies don't know all of the different authorities that they have uh, they don't use all of the authorities that they've been given. Um, and so there's tremendous opportunity to simplify this process, to clarify it, to get it down to the tools that work, um, and focus on those, and give agencies then flexibility. One of the things we've recommended in previous reports is where there's a flexibility, as Lauren mentioned, the pilot programs, where there's a flexibility that's established for one agency, we ought to think really uh deliberately about why that shouldn't be a flexibility for every agency, um, and then get that down to a small set that everybody can understand, articulate, and implement. And a big part of that is going to have to be Congress uh, working with the administration to set the, the rules about their oversight, right? So they have oversight responsibility, OPM has oversight responsibility. But if everybody can sort of Clear out the landscape so that we know what to focus on. I think that will go a long way to then enabling the front line HR staff to really be effective um, in bringing in talent, uh, you know, retaining and and promoting that talent.
2: Thanks so much, Terry. Um, They've really got a lot of on their plate up there in in the Congress (laughs) and it'll be interesting to see how they uh, react to the report. Any indication yet whether there will be hearings on the, the report that Congress asked for uh, from the academy, uh, or is it still too early days? Well, we've
4: gotten really positive feedback uh, on the initial perspectives on their report, um, and you know, it its uh, ability to address the questions that they laid out. I think you know there are certainly lots of urgent concerns on the Hill these days. Um, the, the state of the federal workforce probably is one of them, but uh, we'll see when they, when they get those going.
2: Thanks, Terry. Really appreciate that. We've got a pause here to take our last break, and then we'll conclude our conversation here today, looking at the way forward uh, on these human capital management uh, issues and opportunities. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Welcome back to FedTalk on Federal News Network. We're entering the last segment of the show, so let's dive right in. I want to focus on the way forward here in, in, in the end of our time together here, uh, talking about human capital management in the federal workforce and in the federal government. And, um, you know, there's so many issues that we have covered today, but uh, I've got to hope that there's hope uh, I'm, I'm looking to each of you, Terry and Lauren, uh, to give us some ideas on, on the way forward. Um, and uh, Terry, uh, kind of as, as, as you're looking at this from the academy, uh, what are some of the things that you, you think need, we need to be focused on and need to see happen?
4: Well, Jason, I, I think there's real opportunity for success. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the new political leadership team in OPM, because they have the opportunity to drive real culture change in that organization. I mean, we've all been talking about it. we talked about how it needs a change in focus, how it needs to be restaffed and, and it needs to build its own capacity. But just saying culture change is no easy thing. I mean, this needs a long-term commitment. Um, that kind of culture change is gonna take years to develop. Uh, there's relationship building and rebuilding that needs to go on, both inside the organization, um, with the stakeholders of the organization, including the unions and the employee organizations, um, with the Chicos themselves, right? This, this new OPM team has the opportunity to reinvigorate the Chico Council, to use them in a strategic way, to be partners with the experts, um, and then to, to drive this change in relationship with Congress with O&B, with other agencies in the federal uh, enterprise. And so I think one of the things we'll be looking at is, is the new leadership team able to change the culture of the organization from a Title V compliance focus to a broader strategic perspective? Uh, and to do that, you know, they're gonna need to take on a number of the recommendations we, uh, we laid out here But there's a key piece of that, um, that it will enable that culture change, which is stable and sufficient funding. Um, And to do that, OPM's gonna need to really get down into the cost and programmatic levels of what they spend, what they need to spend, what the 2B organization is gonna look like, be able to present those in a compelling way to Congress. Congress is gonna have to commit to stable sufficient funding levels, uh, either through appropriations or if working capital funds, because OPM can, can create a, a vision of sunshine and rainbows, but if it's not funded to do the work, uh, you're not going to be able to get there. So I think for, for us, we'll be watching two things. One is that leadership for culture change, and the other is the transparency and partnership to ensure that the OPM that we want is sufficiently funded to be the OPM we can have.
2: Thanks so much terry really appreciate that and uh, uh i think many others will be keeping an eye on those areas as well uh lauren from your perspective on the path forward uh, anything that you want to highlight or or, or foot stomp here for our audience
0: absolutely and i've really enjoyed being part of this conversation jason um i think that a key thing that is a critical ingredient to any success in transforming HR and rebuilding federal talent. Is the attention is attention from senior agency leaders, from senior agency political appointees. This is something that Congress can help with, the Biden administration can help with, and senior agency officials should take the talent of the federal workforce as one of their key responsibilities and one of the most important parts of their legacy. The civil servants who work every day across administrations have got to be seen by these agency leaders as people that they are taking responsibility for, uh, for their recruitment, for their investment, for their potential and their future and their ability to meet their mission on a day-to-day basis. A good example of this where I actually have some hope is uh, the State Department. Um, And we talk a bit about this in our report on HR transformation, but also another uh, partnership report called State of Renewal on uh, agency transformation at the State Department. States already done some good investments in their human capital functions through some centralization to increase better uh, consistency in HR services. And there are some challenges along the way that didn't quite account for state culture, but have gotten, have faced some improvements. But there's still a long ways to go at the State Department. Um, you and I have discussed earlier about how the State Department hasn't been reauthorized in decades. There are authorities that it is desperately needs in order to monitor, modernize much of its system. to to correct some disparities between civil service and foreign service personnel management, to have better end-to-end talent management systems, to improve its information technology, which is decades behind, and to correct some real challenges that we see in its ability to attract, retain, and promote uh, diverse talent, which is very underrepresented in both the civil service and foreign service, particularly at the leader level at the State Department. This is an area that the Biden administration has uh, put some priority on, both in their executive order that they issued on the national security workforce, but also in the leaders that it's appointing at the State Department. Secretary Blinken, um, Deputy Secretary Brian McEwen, many of the leaders it's appointing that have incredible foreign service and other experience in state have all either prioritized specifically or hinted at their desire to invest in the workforce and their desire to make sure that state is a 21st century world-class diplomatic corps that has the people and the capability to meet all of those 21st century challenges. And I have actually a lot of hope that both from a policy and legal perspective, but also from a cultural perspective, those leaders will place the investment in human capital and talent that will be necessary to build state up to what it uh, what the country needs for its foreign policy leadership. Um, but there's a lot of challenges that had for them as an organization, so fingers crossed that they will put the time and investment in.
2: Thanks, Lauren. Really appreciate that kind of tangible example, even at a large department like state, uh, where it really shows that uh, you've got to have the different players, your career leaders, your political leaders, the White House and Congress rowing together to make sustained progress on these issues. Um, and as we've talked, uh, heard today on Fed Talk from Pam Coleman from OMB, uh, the tone at the top from the administration really is consistent with this message to uh, link the capability and success of the workforce to the success of the policy directives of an administration and, and, it, and while we're here in our last few minutes, I'm, I'm curious for your, your thoughts and perspective on there are a lot of directives. And, and I know in talking with folks in agencies, their heads are kind of spinning what to prioritize, what goes first, how do we make sense of this all? Do either you have recommendations uh, for agencies or as you're looking at all of that, kind of what's, what's the, the North Star for you, any tips for folks out there listening um, who are uh, trying to be responsive to these, these new directives?
0: Sure, uh, this it's a, a great, great question and I think a great theme to connect to uh, the conversation that we've had today. Um, you're right, there's been dozens of executive orders, new policies, new announcements. The thing that I would offer to any uh, leaders who are in the Biden administration right now, whether career or federal, is to rely on the career workforce, the civil servants who have served uh, across administrations, who know um, how to get things done, how to move things in the system, and the levers that are necessary to uncover what will actually be possible to implement some of these new policies. Establishing up front that collaborative trusting relationship between political appointees and the civil service workforce is absolutely critical to managing this onslaught of new priorities as they come in. And that's something that it, it feels as though like, of course, it will just happen naturally. But I think particularly after some of the challenges we've, we've had in the last few years, rebuilding that trust and putting purpose and deliberation behind those relationships will be absolutely vital and will be foundational to getting all of those, uh, those new policy initiatives off the ground. Awesome.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, Lauren DeYoung Schulman from the Partnership for Public Service. Uh, thanks for having, being here with us on FedTalk. Terry Girton from Napa. Uh, what, what do you think on that last question? Um, you
4: know, it, Lauren's absolutely right. Um, the tone at the top is one uh, that's much more positive and open to trust. Um, now the federal government has to deliver on that outreach to the workforce. Uh, You know, there's certainly a lot of conversation going on uh, about the technicalities of how we uh, bring people back to work, so to speak, uh, following the post-COVID crisis. Um, And how we do that and how we think about that for the future uh, is going to be key to all of this. And Lauren's exactly right. You know, we have uh, competent, talented, expert HR managers, the, uh, the administration and its OPM team. Need to be in close collaboration to make sure that um, all of the conversations around here, uh, around this important topic are clear, that they're transparent, that they're listening, right? Uh, And that they're taking action in a a positive and clear and implementable way while keeping their eye on the future to make sure that uh, we're we're recovering in a way that builds uh, capacity that doesn't uh, diminish or constrain it.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Terry Gurden, President and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration, Lauren DeYoung Schulman from the Partnership for Public Service, and Pam Coleman from the Office of Management and Budget. Thank you all so much for your time and joining us for this great discussion on Fed Talk today. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend.